the Pilot TV podcast this week, we are hitting the campaign trail with the seventh season of Veep, rejoining Bill Hader's hilarious hitman antics for season two of Barry, and tapping back into the countless hours you spent listening to the first season of Serial with HBO's new documentary series, The Case Against Adnan Syed. Plus, I sit down with Joel Kinnaman and Mireille Enos to talk all things Hannah, as well as exploring the perils of woodland toilet activities. I'm James Dyer, and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, a show that I apparently dominate with obnoxiously toxic opinions like some right-wing TV pundit, or so listener Nikki Tricks maintains on her recent iTunes review. Listening to the podcast is one of the highlights to a new working week, and I really enjoy it, she says. Last week, I was looking forward to hearing what the group thought about the Madeleine McCann documentary. However, it was only given seconds of airtime in favour of what felt like hours of in-depth promotion of Farscape. <laughs> it dawned on me that James is the Piers Morgan of the Pilot mm. TV podcast, <gasps> loves talking about what interests him and the sound of his own voice. Could we possibly have less sci-fi promotion and more opportunities for Terry and Boyd to share their views? <laughs> Piers fucking Morgan. There are two things. One of which is I can absolutely see why they would make that conclusion. Um, my boyfriend said to me after listening to last week's podcast, that James told you what to do and you just took it. <laughs> <laughs> that jealous. Just, that just seemed strange. And I was like, you're just jealous. Like, yeah. Basically, you, you tried it once and you're now missing a limb. Um, but the other thing that's interesting is you are the least right-wing person I know, and yet you have this amazing reputation as just automatically being right wing. It's hilarious, isn't it? I'm sort of seen as this. Where do this, you think that comes from? It's it's very hard to say, Terry. I must admit, no one was more surprised than me that you actually listened to me last week when I imposed <laughs> that clock. I felt like I'd use some kind of weird Jedi mind shit on you, so that uh, that worked out quite well. I thought this was really fucking harsh. To clarify this point, Nikki, if that is indeed your <laughs> real name, uh, the only reason I imposed this clock on the McCann discussion, a clock I should point out that was blatantly disregarded thanks to one unauthorised follow-up question from Boyd. The only reason that I did impose that was because we fucking covered it the week before. Boyd had banged on about it for 10 full minutes. How much McCann chat does one person <laughs> actually need, Nikki? Hmm? How much do you need before you can make a decision? Dear gods, Piers Morgan indeed. I was not here, therefore it did not exist because time stops. Have I told you that thing about when I was a kid and I thought time stopped oh God. and the world stopped when I left rooms? I mean, pre-Truman Show, Truman Show, I thought that I could speak to the world via my mirror and I thought that when I left the room, the world stopped moving and it only began again when I re-entered it. So by that kind of theory, there was no pilot TV podcast when I wasn't here. I'm enjoying your little dive into Cartesian philosophy. This, <laughs> yeah. is, this is fun. I think there is some kind of psychological word for for what that is as well. Yeah, I don't yes. know. Narcissism. Narcissism, yeah. Yes. One word. For Rampant <laughs> megalomania. Possibly. Uh, but yeah, you know. Impotence. Can we just... Well, it's different. Just, Piers Morgan. After all I do mm. for these people, I, I edited last week's podcast, first of all, up a mountain for fuck's sake, on my phone at five in the morning. I think I deserve a little, you know, at, at worst I'm Wogan. Well, the question make- is, though, who's Susanna? Yeah, I think I'm Susanna Reid, yeah. Maybe See, you're... Which makes me, what, Garraway? <laughs> Garraway's good. Ben <laughs> Shepherd. I don't want to be Garraway or Ben Shepherd. Ben Shepherd is a pushover. Hi, Ben Shepherd, you're really handsome. <laughs> ben Shepherd's lovely. And, and Kate Garraway <laughs> used to be Susanna before Susanna came along, and she's now Garraway. Maybe one of us is Richard Arnold. Okay, I'll be Richard yeah, Arnold. Yeah, you can be Richard Arnold. 
You have no idea what we're talking about. I really have no clue who these people are. (laughs) Absolutely none. I mean, there is no alternate dimension where I sit down and watch Good Morning Britain. So no, no. What do you what do you listen to in the morning? What do you what do you do? You crank up like you know. Farscape or something. No, controversially, your... boy. I get out of bed, have a shower, get dressed, and then leave the house to go to work. But don't you alert yourself to any news, like the radio or? No, no, no. no, 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 no. Do you watch Fire Escape at seven a.m.? <laughs> no, I don't watch Fire Escape at uh, seven a.m. That's uh, that's that's evening watching, Terry. <laughs> no, no, I don't. I don't. I'm very much a get up and get out kind of person. Mm, okay. I don't really, really? tit about the house in the morning. <laughs> yeah. I bet you are. <laughs> <sighs> the abuse begins already. Anyway, so now is uh, is usually the time where I would kind of double down and turn this introduction into a laboriously overwrought bit of theatrics riffing on pretty much every bit of science fiction I can think of maybe delivered in the manner of Piers Morgan really just to spite Nicky uh, however I'm not going to do that I'm not I'm not instead I'm going to acquiesce to Nicky's request and allow you to pour oppressed souls to uh, to share your view so Terry you're here it seems please state your full name for the record Terry Louise White well Terry Louise White what's uh What's your favourite colour? My favourite colour is red. Any particular shade or? Scarlet, vivid. Oh, menstrual blood red. Right, menstrual blood red. You are, as ever, thoroughly on brand. Tell us an amusing fact about yourself. Um, I told you my Brian Keenan when I was at school. I, my nickname was Brian Keenan because when you shout, Terry, wait, when you're leaving the classroom, it sounds like Terry, wait. Terry, wait was kidnapped and held hostage at the same time as Brian Keenan. Therefore, I was Brian Keenan from the age of 12 to 18. That's quite an elaborate genesis for a nickname. Like, not just to call you Terry, wait, but to actually take that lateral step. I mean, for my village. Yeah. It was also That's, witty. A witty, yeah, a witty nickname. I mean, yeah. We had some yeah. proper yeah. interesting people. I want to meet these people. <laughs> That's you creative. <laughs> no, I probably don't. I may have done you would be dark awful. alleys. I was going to say, you uh, would be awful to them. Yeah, I probably would. That's true. Okay, okay, fine. So, Brian, uh, what's your favourite TV show of all time? Oh, oh, uh, Buffy. Buffy. Yeah. What's the best season? Two. The correct answer was three. Um, <laughs> do you... <laughs> Once again, being Piers Morgan. <laughs> yeah. Do you do you have a view you'd like to share? Do you have like, you know, something I've suppressed in my Morganesque autocratic rule of this podcast? Something about Madeline McCann, perhaps, you know, something unfairly censored by me. Do I have something I'd like to share? With the group. This group. This group. No. Me. Just just between you, me, Boyd, and for thousands of people listening. Oh, yeah. so I'm trying to drink water at the moment. So I've never drunk water in my entire life. I'm 39 <laughs> and I'm trying to train myself. Um and I've drunk two bottles in the last week and I'm now on a glass. Now, for the listeners, Terry, why don't you drink water? Because it tastes disgusting. No, because it tastes like diseases. Because it tastes like diseases, yes. Terry doesn't drink water because it tastes like diseases. It does. Next time you drink a cup of water, taste it. <laughs> think about it. What does it taste like? Diseases. <laughs> right. I don't drink that much water either, but I just I find it quite boring water. That's my problem with it. Do you? Yeah, I need I like some kind water. of flavour. Yeah, some kind. Of, you like water? I do. It's my favourite drink. This it's... is going to rivet. That me. says so much. But <laughs> yeah. I tell you, you think it's too boring. I think it tastes like diseases. James is like, yeah, it's cool. This this is our whole dynamic here <laughs> yeah. in microcosm, yeah. isn't it? In water. Right. Well, thank you, Brian Boyd. We know your favourite show is Seinfeld. Yeah. What is your second favourite show? Um. Oh, that's a good question. Probably Curb Your Enthusiasm. Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah. Interesting. Why is that? Um, because it's got everything the sci-fi's got, but it's slightly sh- sharper edged. Um, apps. It's kind of like unleashes the inner grumpy, 
um, old man that is within me and, you know... Where? Yeah. I, like Larry David gets to say all the things that you kind of think maybe you'd say if you if you didn't have any... If you if you fought against any social faux pas. Or, I do not believe you have a grumpy old man inside yeah, you. Yeah, I do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, so to speak. And, okay, fine, fine. Boyd, so in your long and storied career as a TV journalist, what is the best thing you've ever done? Um, as a journalist or a TV journalist? Oh, it's, it's both. Give me well, I interviewed Elton John in his home in Atlanta and um, the night before the interview, so, so I was there for two days, basically, mm-hmm. one day to, to interview him in his, in his lavish um, penthouse in Atlanta. But the day before, I was with a publicist, and the publicist was like, well, should we, let's go for it somewhere, you know, a nice restaurant in Atlanta. And, he, call, and, and um, he called Elton to say, do you know of any where to go? And Elton just invited us over anyway for dinner at his place the night before. So we, social, so we had dinner at Elton John's house in the night before, and then the next day we went and did the interview. So he kind of like showed us around his lavish um, uh, penthouse and where he has all his art and everything. And showed me his porn room and his, uh, his, his what room? His porn room. He had a, at that time. He probably doesn't now, but at that time, he had a, a, a room which was literally devoted to DVDs of uh, gay porn, of like Czechoslovakian mostly gay porn. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I and I and I yeah and I <laughs> wow. uh, yeah you know like stacks of DVDs right. And I was like fretted when I when I had to write all this up. So I had to write up the the piece for He Magazine, which I was doing it for. And I was thinking, oh, should I talk about the porn room? You know, because I thought it was a bit, you know, a bit personal. So um, I fretted and fretted, and eventually I just asked the publicist, "Do you think you're mine?" And they were like, oh, "No, you don't give a shit." Yeah, right about it. So I did. I could work in journalism for another hundred years and not have an anecdote as good as <laughs> Elton John showed me his collection of Czechoslovakian porn. Well, also, how many years have I known you? Yeah. Uh, and you've held that story back this entire time. Who keeps a Elton John <laughs> Czechoslovakian porn story in their back pocket? Um, uh, It just hasn't come up. Yeah, it just hasn't come up. This is now. extraordinary. Yeah. I mean, I've got quite a few. I've, I've interviewed him twice. I was also interviewed him in Las Vegas as well. Yeah, Did he bring the porn with him? No, I think no. he had his own. Yeah, I'm sure he's had his own supply at that point. <laughs> so to speak. Well, that's wow. Yeah, extraordinary. Okay. Mm, fine, Thanks. Terry. Do you have, what's the closest you can get to matching that? Whose Czechoslovakian porn collection have you seen? I've seen nobody's Czechoslovakian. <laughs> wow. <laughs> On collection. I know. I know that we, as we record this, is the 29th of March, but there's no need to go fucking full Brexit on us. Yeah. I have no, uh, no such like story. Why would I? When was the last time you were at somebody's house watching Czechoslovakian? Oh, uh, we didn't watch the porn, by the way. Oh, sorry, sorry. He I just, just showed it. me the stacks of DVDs. He yeah. didn't put it on. No, no, he didn't put any on that. No. no, I think that would have been, been a better. Story. That would have been inappropriate. Yeah. I don't know. It would have been a great feature. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. Okay. Good. I think hopefully now we've. Uh, gotten to know you both a little bit better. I've given you a little bit of air time, so I'm not oppressing you. Do you feel unoppressed? Oh, is that what this is about? I've actually yeah. forgotten why we were even doing this. Because yeah. this is you yeah. trying to prove you're not Piers Morgan. That's right. It's me Bloody trying hell. to give you, give, you, give you space to be the person that you want to be, to be yourselves well, and no. to grow and flourish. You're giving us space to be ourselves via the medium of your funny questions, which make you look good. <laughs> That's what you mean. So you're saying so it is, true. in fact, still about me. Is this like being on a date with you? <laughs> I bet it is. I bet you he throws out these little questions questions right yeah. or anecdotes and yeah. and the, it seems like he's interested in you but ultimately he's just trying to look funny and yeah. clever yeah. Oh, that's what is your second favorite tv show all time i bet you say that to all the girls <laughs> i bet he does say that to all the girls <laughs> It's not a million miles from the truth that's all i'm gonna say right fine okay let's move hastily on from that um what have you guys been watching 
So this week, um, two continuing excellent BBC series, um, Fleabag episode four, I want to say, and yep. Partridge episode five. five. Um, Partridge was brilliant. Uh, if you haven't seen it, there is an allergic reaction which causes <laughs> that causes a lip situation the likes of which have never been seen. It is this show, honestly, just keeps getting better and better and better. It's just in just the little moments still, still got walks over to the digi board, is like half a step out of like too slow to get there. There's these little moments of silence. She, by the way, boys remind me of her name. Uh Su- it's Susanna Fielding, I think. She is <laughs> Who plays obviously the uh, the co-host yes. of the show? She is so good, and oh, I think so you, it's easy to forget how good she is because she is so perfect at this. Um, and then Fleabag just had a couple of amazing moments. I was saying to Boyd before we started the record, there is a moment when, and again, just shut your ears briefly if you don't know this. It's not a massive spoiler, but it is an observation. Um, so basically, Fleabag gets called out for the side eye by Andrew Scott um, as the priest, and he says, "Oh." What is that thing you're doing? And I was, I was saying to Boyd, like, what is it if you've broken the fourth wall, as Fleabag does, and then somebody else notices it? Is that like unbreaking the fourth wall, or is he breaking the fourth wall with her? Like, it really, really, it's her thing, right? And it's the thing that she shares with you as the audience. So when he noticed it, it properly spun me out. Where did you, where did you just go? What? He just went somewhere. I, I get, yeah, I was thinking, I was trying to kind of um, rationalise into it that, you know, he's seeing her kind of drop out, drop attention, you know, yeah. kind of stop paying attention and get distracted. But they did it in such a way that he gives a little mini, tiny little look, doesn't yeah. he, to camera himself. It was so brilliantly done. Like, to yeah, for her to like start untangling yeah. that work with it, the whole process, the whole format, the whole yeah. structure, that was incredible. I think yeah. both... I'm really enjoying watching them um, episodically, watching them weekly, I have to say. And we've got access to them and we could binge them if we want to. I mean, Boyd to. and I have. I have. But, yeah. but <laughs> I, I, I'm, I deliberately have been saving it, partly because I got shouted out by my boyfriend for watching <laughs> Partridge without him, but because I'm really enjoying having something. I can't remember the last time I was turning in turning in, tuning in to a weekly telly in such a way, making an event out of it, getting the tea all ready beforehand. It's... um. Yeah. Didn't also in on Partridge the the climax was his vocal harmony group singing his sisters are doing <laughs> it for themselves. themselves and he took the main yeah. he took the main vocal it was so brilliantly done sounds absolutely brilliant hilarious it was almost as funny um, as, the, as last week's uh, make James laugh slash what's it called now dire or funny funny or dire funny or dire yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah I heard we got a new name yeah, from right. somebody else I mean you yeah. heard because I told you last week on the podcast but I the, thought there was another new name not that I'm aware of unless you want to give it one. No, because no. <laughs> no, because we did. What did we call it in the office? We said, um, uh, "Isn't it is jo- is is James a cunt?" Was that the one? <laughs> was that the <laughs> fundamental? We tried to get to the nub of what this this really was. Right, um, carry Good. on. That <laughs> was the alternate name for it. Yeah. Okay, Boyd. <laughs> Can I just say, yeah, to, on to Terry's point about these week. The, 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 there's also Home. Rufus Jones yep. is incredible. Yep. She's fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. Every ch- and Derry Girls. That double bill it is. Yes. We are living in it's it's comedy, fantastic comedy gold, comedy gold <laughs> times. Um, but I also am watching The Bay, which is currently on ITV. Um, and it's a it's the one of it's it's an ITV crime thriller, right? Now there's a whole load of fairly I would describe as 
this is going to sound slightly so kind of middle brow crime thrillers coming up mm. um, and they're all called The Something there's The Victim coming up on BBC One we may review some of these by the way I'm just warning you in advance The Widow coming up on ITV <laughs> and this is The Bay right they've all got The Something yeah. And but I think this is the best one this is the best one I've seen so far because um, it's got a really clever premise which is that it's all about Morven Christie who is brilliant in everything she does and she plays a family liaison officer police person mm. so her job is to liaise with the families of victims of crime and she has to get involved in um, a the disappearance of two um, teenage girls and she's just so happened to have shagged the stepfather in an alleyway the night the two girls disappeared and it's such a great little device and also I feel is believable totally believable because she's this flawed you know very human character who just decided one night to shag this guy because he was hot and he turns out to be the stepfather and a spot immediate suspect in their disappearance slash murders and it's just really gripping great storytelling and I'm, I'm highly enjoying it the bay itv at the well, moment i accidentally watched <laughs> Did the, you? the first episode <laughs> yeah it's actually yeah yeah for someone good. who's normally quite snooty about the old itv crime mm. drama that's quite a concession yeah, well, I accidentally watched it because it came up on Gogglebox and uh, it looked so good <laughs> that I then had yeah. to watch it in real life. Um, yes, it was good. Yeah, it's really good fun. I watched uh, I watched something this week which caused me to text Boyd and say to him, <laughs> send him the message, two words, psychic octopus, to which he responded in all caps, yes, James. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to explain that as it is a spoiler, but those of you who know, understand. Uh, <laughs> I also watched the rest of Hannah, which I enjoyed. Po-faced and humorless as it is. <laughs> um, yeah, that was all good. But, but, but the thing that really kind of blew my mind was, so this week, well, this week when recording this, it'll be the last week when you listen to this, was the penultimate episode of The Walking Dead. Oh, yeah. uh, this season of The Walking Dead. And, well, uh, I mean, Christ. Yeah. Yeah, I saw everyone saying it's it's the best episode for for years. Is that Do you agree I, with that? Uh, do you best concur? episode for years is... a bold claim i'm not sure i'd call it the, as a whole the best episode for years i think it was a good episode i think it's had one of the most shocking endings or no let's be honest it was the most shocking ending i think of any when sarah wayne callies gets killed that's pretty shocking but this this was this was a thing oh, that happened which i now can't talk about because it's a massive spoiler but yeah if you do if you are one of the few people like the zombies in the walking dead who are still shambling along refusing to die with this show uh i do recommend you you catch up because i mean it yeah it was a thing oh i'm gonna watch that yeah, yeah it was good it's by the way i don't thing. think the psyche octopus is a spoiler i think you can say what show it's from because all you're saying it's not really a plot no. point is it yeah it's the psych- it's the oa it's in the oa it's of in course, the OA. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there's yeah, a psychic yeah. octopus in the oa yeah. and let's just say <laughs> the emergence of the psychic octopus was unexpected there's also the tree internet as well don't forget yeah the tree internet was also unexpected yeah uh yeah and you haven't watched the final episode yet and i'm just when you do can you promise me when you literally finish that last moment of the oa part two text me text you immediately go what because i want an immediate reaction i am loving it so much like it's funny like so the oa season one like really good little bit weird not hugely weird a bit weird like it has moments of weirdness but this one has just been properly push the boat out pour lsd all over it and set it on fire mental and someone said to me is it is it weird because i said it was the most audacious tv show yeah. i've ever seen in my life and i'm sticking to that right mm. someone said like more than twin peaks and my answer to that is yes twin peaks the return i think they were talking about and i love twin peaks and i even liked and i like the return as well 
But what I would say about Twin Peaks is it's it's constantly surreal. It's it's yeah. you know almost like there are no rules. Yeah. I feel with it's, Twin Peaks, it you can you can interpret surreal. it and you can string bits of it together and you go right. I think this yeah. is what's happening. But there is a kind of underlying narrative in the OA. Well, the OA is, is grounded, but yeah, with, it's with, grounded. with surreal elements right. to it, but it doesn't take place in a surreal... Exactly. And I think it's harder to do this yes. than it is I agree. Peaks. Because what they've done in this is they, they set it in a grounded universe. They introduced gonzo surreal aspects in terms right. of plot points, not in terms of the style in which yeah, the story exactly. is told. Exactly. Uh, but they managed to keep you on board. They managed to get you to buy into the surreal aspects as it's complete willing suspension of disbelief. You buy into it as if it's real. Yes. And that's a very, very hard thing to do, especially yeah. when people are doing interpretative dance moves to travel between dimensions. You know. Correct. Um, so... Terry's getting slightly bored, I feel. <laughs> oh, really? She hasn't watched it yet. Really? Well, well imagine the OA is, in fact, a true crime documentary <laughs> hang on, hang on. about a woman who was abducted and hang held on, in a dungeon. Hang on, Morgan. So <laughs> the, uh, the reality is I'm, I'm on deadline for a big project at the moment. And what that means is, apart from the things I have to watch for work, I'm not allowed to watch any new series until the oh. 5th of April, which oh. is when my thing oh, is really? due. Oh, really? Is that when your thing's due? So I am on the... 6th of April, for example, I have cleared that entire day just to watch um, the OA. Oh, good. I'm penciling in spoiler special on the 7th. Oh, good, 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 good. There we yes. go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Okay, that's what we've been watching. Uh, we can. Last- and now it's time for the podcast to be over. <laughs> <laughs> Nearly. We've been going on for 23 minutes already. We can, we can skip daintily through news. Well, no, I was going to go into this week's Funny or Dire, which, oh. comes, which comes courtesy of Jake Gledhill, who nominated The Thick of It, Series 3, Episode 3. This is the episode in which Nicola Murray is stuck in an Eastbourne hotel with a very very small kettle. While she and Ollie try and finish the speech for the annual party conference, their secret weapon, however, is Julie Price, a tragic widow whose husband died in a freak cafe accident. Malcolm Tucker, however, has other plans. That's my synopsis. Do you like it? That was a very um, kind of like listing synopsis. Yeah, 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 from 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 a listings magazine. Um, This was really funny. (gasps) This was proper funny. Did this you was, laugh? This was laugh out loud <laughs> oh multiple times. Oh, oh my god! Uh, and I was trying to put my finger on why. I think perhaps it's because it's incredibly mean spirited, and uh, and it's the creative swearing. Honestly, I think just the the le- use of language in this show is like nothing else I've ever heard. Just it's mm. absolutely extraordinary. I won't scare you, okay? I'll just explain to you what I'm going to fucking do to you. I'm going to take your bollocks. I'm going to fucking rip them off. I'm going to fucking put eyeballs on them. And I'm going to stitch them onto a fucking sock and use that as our mouthpiece. The way they just navigate the tone is so artful. Mm. And I really enjoyed it. And bearing in mind, I'm coming to this fairly cold because I don't watch the thick of it. So I don't know who any of these people are. But it didn't even matter. Like, you totally yeah. bought into the archetypes of who they were. And it rang, you know, frankly, quite true as well. But Tucker, obviously, I've seen some of his stuff on YouTube and stuff. It's absolutely hilarious. He punches one of the guys in the face. He's bleeding everywhere. It's absolute carnage. You must have seen this episode. Yeah, I've seen every yeah. single episode yeah. of the thick of it. Yeah, that was an absolutely brilliant episode. Isn't there uh, their exploitation of the real life person yes. as they're trying to it was, is, is incredible because this was a time where every conference every political conference whether it was Labour or Tory or whatever they'd, they'd pick out a real person and they'd go yes I meet my my neighbour in my constituency 78 yep. year old Brenda and it would be yeah, it would be gratuitous exploitation of real people's lives and of course they can't do the thing of it anymore because it, it became a cliche that everything that happens in politics is has been predicted by the thing of it and what we're going through right now this unbelievable <laughs> fuck up of Brexit is 100% 
platinum thick of it. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. But there's a bit in this is funny where like they can't work out where the leak's coming from. And one of them goes, Julie, Julie Twitters. She Twitters. Yes. And, and, and Tucker's like, is she, what? What is a, a tweet? A tweet? Obviously, because this is uh, this was 2009 when this was shot. So wow. I guess it was before Twitter was massively mainstream. But it's hilarious that, you know, this woman is tweeting and they're trying to stop it. It's, yeah, it was very, very funny. But it was really the swearing, I think, that uh, that tipped me over the edge. Yeah, the Malcolm Tucker character, he's, yeah. he's absolutely But all of them, all yeah, of them. They're all, they're genius, they all, yeah, the Nicola Murray character yeah. is hilariously yeah. funny. And of uh, course, there's a, and Armando Nucci created that, that show which about British politics. Yeah. So of course, he created um, Veep, which is very much in many ways an American version of what they were trying to do. Indeed. But what's interesting, and we'll get onto this later when we review yes. Veep, because it's not a show that I generally watch either, is that it shows perfectly in the difference between those two shows, the difference between American and English politics in that American politics is all personality and spectacle and over the top. And English politics is so shoestring and scruffy and just yeah. like, you know, you know, Pathetic. Second class stamp type. Yeah, yeah it's hilarious. Yeah. Travel lodge budget. It's yeah. Yeah. Very, very funny. I did I did enjoy this. This did make me laugh. Well done, wow. Jake. The thick of it was a hit. Uh you have won. I think you should get a prize. Yeah. Terry's gonna get you a prize, Jake. Um <laughs> You have James's respect, which is frankly worth more than anything I can give you of monetary value, but we will send you a pilot goodie bag there if you, go. you get in touch with your You'll address. get James's respect, something Terry has never given James himself. <laughs> uh <laughs> If you would like to take your chances against my impenetrable wall of humorlessness, then do give it a whirl. Submit your show and specific episode of choice to me on Twitter at James C. Dyer. In the meantime, here's the news. Boyd, do you want to run us through the BAFTA highlights since yes. you are almost certainly personally <laughs> responsible for everything that happened? I'm responsible for one category, although I'm not limited to say which one. Oh, you, know, you have to keep category. it a secret. You can't, if you're on a BAFTA jury, I was on yeah. a BAFTA jury, yeah. you can't say what you did until the night, the day of the BAFTAs. Isn't that weird? Really? Yeah. So do you know who's won? Uh, no, it was a secret ballot, but I know who's the nominee. Well, I know all the nominations I mean, so in all the categories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I kept that secret. I, uh, but yeah, loads of great nominations. The, the headline is that um, Killing Eve, because they announced very cleverly this year, I think for the first time, the um, technical and craft BAFTAs and the, as they call them, the program awards. Mm. So the craft ones include cinematography and music and ludicrously writing, which should be in the main one, obviously. Um, and the main, main, the main categories like act and best drama and Killing Eve overall got 14 nominations. The pretty much as many nominations as I think has ever been done in BAFTA. So it shows you what an impact that show had. And Terry's got her finger up. Because we because. should talk about something to do with Killing Eve's 14 nominations, right? What, you mean the eligibility issue? Yeah. Yes. Very interesting. The what? Boy, boy, There's an eligibility issue. So in, in the rules, BAFTA publishes very strict guidelines and eligibility rules. And the main eligibility rule for all BAFTA TV entries is that they should have been aired on British TV first. And Killing Eve clearly Ooh. wasn't, right? So there has been a slight kind of controversy about it. But and in the end, what BAFTA have said is our TV committee that decides on these things got together and said, look, Killing Eve is such an exceptional programme created by British people in every, or, you know, the, the writer, obviously the stars, apart from Sandra Oh, <laughs> the director and everything are British, produced by a British company, etc. So they kind of flew in the face of that and said, it's fine, we're going to allow it in. But basically, I think partly because it's so brilliant and partly because it is 
but British creatively, they rode Russia over their own rule and they have allowed which it. Should, which I have to say, A, it, it shows the absurdity of that rule, really. <laughs> if, because they have now basically gone, that's our long-standing rule, which presumably has meant other things haven't been eligible in other years. Because Killing Eve is Killing Eve and and it would be far kind of less respected, I presume, if they ignored Killing Eve and would get far less headlines. They've said... Oh, fuck our existing rule, which very clearly states it has to have premiered here. It absolutely, there's no definition where it premiered here. No. And they went, oh, well, it is British because it has a, a majority British crew. That is not the rule. So, A, get rid of your rule because it's stupid. Yeah. And then they literally put a line in the in the end saying, and our committee has final say, so that's just that. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's it extraordinary yeah. that they just went... No, this doesn't yeah. count for this one. Yeah, show. it's a can of worms. And I, what, what normally there's an international category. So there's one category for every international show, no matter what genre. So, for example, Succession and The Handmaid's Tale are nominated in the best international category, along with two factual shows. And Killing Eve would have been in that just in one category and got one BAFTA. And I think the BBC just went, look. Are, are you allowing in this greatest show of all time that everyone loves? And BAFTA went, all right, yeah. And Surely I, they I think, have to ditch that rule now, though. I think they will have to. Yeah, you can't yeah. keep, you you can't can't put keep it, it in. But then you that, say, you're right, yeah, I think they will have to ditch it. If yeah. you're going to define British TV by being yeah. made by British people... Yeah. And I think there's an easy way around it, because what I think that, that all they can do is... So shows like Netflix shows, like um, Sex Education, for example, yeah. which is a mostly br creatively a British yeah. show, um, that aired in, like, globally at the same time. If there's a show that arrives on one of these services... It, not internationally first and then comes to Britain and it is mostly creatively British then they will allow it in mm. so still there still can be an international category for shows like The Handmaid's Tale but anything that's predominantly British they can they'll have to change that rule yeah and the rule doesn't work for the for the for the film BAFTAs. They don't care. There's a special British film mm. category, but any film is allowed in. So yeah, although no you sense. don't want to hear the arguments we've had in the Empire Office over what constitutes it's a British, British. film. Oh, yeah. said about that, the better. I can only imagine. <laughs> uh, so yes, Killing Eve is in fact killing it, and uh, we should also. And so apart from that, twelve nominations for a very English scandal. Yes, six for Patrick Melrose. Five each for Bodyguard and Little Drummer Girl. Four for Mum and Mrs. Wilson, and. I know this is probably Terry's most most highly highly um, approved nominations. Three for Bross after the screaming <laughs> stops. Extraordinary. So let's just say now Bross will be at the Baftas, and that will be a great moment. Very pleased to see Save Me in Best Drama. Yes, Save well. Me nominated Best Drama. Yes. Very happy about that. Can we um, uh, mention that there is no nomination for Jodie Whittaker, right? No. And and actually none for Doctor Who apart from. The must-see moment, which is yes. a public vote. Right. I think it's that is a travesty. I have to say to not recognise the amazing kind of work done on that show, um, especially this series, which I think has really pushed it on. Um, not much for the cry, or nothing for the cry. Uh, I know there was some kind of criticism of Jenna Coleman, kind of not getting any looking. Four, four shortlists though. Four people or four shows on the shortlist seems very very light and hence the problem of, of that Doctor Who thing everything. is shocking it's absolutely shocking I think it's disgusting when science fiction gets sidelined by <laughs> nonsense like true crime documentaries and stuff it's it honestly it, it's a hateful injustice but in, in the, at least it is in the must see moment and it is in fact the Rosa Parks episode that has been nominated specifically in the must see moment the, the vote by the public just, that's like the Orange Rising Star Award totally. at the film BAFTAs isn't it yeah. it's, just, it's just a commercial thing yeah it's so. like well, that's, it's what... that's what I think that, that show is I just feel like it oh, no, I moved on yeah. leaps and bounds and to not see that recognised feels like a um a shock and I mean James you're going to enjoy this Good Morning Britain two yes. nominations I know like that is a blow I mean <laughs> 
I'm not going to say. You're speechless. I yeah. am. I'm not going to You're, say anything you have because no James would have to cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> Shall I, should we say? So the, 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 these are the people that did get get nominated in um, leading actress. So not those people that you mentioned. Not. Uh, um, Jodie Whittaker. Yeah. So Jodie Comer, yep. quite rightly, yep. and Sandra O oh, yep. yep. for Killing Eve, Keely Hawes for Bodyguard, mm-hmm. and Ruth Wilson for playing her own grandmother, Mrs. Wilson. And I wasn't keen on Mrs. Wilson, so yeah. I, I think that would be the one. I'd, I'd much rather have seen Jodie Whittaker in that category. I have to say. Much they... as I love Ruth Wilson, I think she's fa- fantastic. Yeah, but why do they only have four? There are so many categories. So I think, yeah. like, I think there are, you know, I think there are just about. 10 more categories maybe than in the film awards for example wow. so they just have to cover everything so that you know there's like two different drama categories there's serial and series there's about three different factual categories it's just too much so i think they just feel See, after limited this sounds score. like a man who's uh, protesting too much i think that was his category and i think he's responsible <gasps> no that wasn't my category uh, <laughs> which do you mean that which which category are you say which, which acting was guilty of acting wasn't yeah. it was a major category best actor cumberbatch Hugh Grant, Chance Perdomo for Killed by My Dad, and Lucian Asamati for Kiri. That's an interesting category. Interesting. So, and Bandersnatch got Best Single Drama, didn't it? As it was nominated yeah. for. I got quite a few as well, it. yeah. I think yeah. Got quite a few technical ones as well. Okay, good, 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 good. Right, uh, other, there was other big news this week, wasn't it? Finally, finally, Apple pulled the curtain back on their streaming service thing with a great big hoopla with celebrities flying left and right and it was it was it was quite the thing and then when the dust settled and you sat down and looked at it it was all a bit like this is interesting but it's not quite the game changer perhaps that we'd expected do you agree yes yes because yeah. like it's like it's, it's it's an interesting thing yeah but like and amazing people involved like Spielberg, jj abrams like really great people but none of the shows i think they demonstrated were Things I think you think right. I'm subscribing to that just for that show. Do you know what I mean? There was no, there was no must-have, must-see show. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I, all I'd say is I think you don't really know, do you, until a show is must-see, until you actually start watching it. That's like, who would have said you wouldn't have said Stranger Things? Yeah, okay. Right, that's for example, fair. that's you fair. have to immediately watch it to get and after about 10 minutes you get it and you're like well yeah. this is an incredible thing in the, in terms of the production values and just the, the storytelling and so I, I'm intrigued by the Reese Witherspoon Jennifer Aniston morning TV thing so yeah that's Steve the Carell. morning show yeah, I, yeah I love yeah. the idea of that right and as soon as I start watching it I think after five minutes I'll know whether or not I think it's worth me paying however much 10 quid a month or whatever yeah. to watch that I think it's all these things. So, but they've definitely gone down the starry. Yes, we've got to line up a load of people that everyone's heard of, Steven Spielberg, yeah. being, you know, all yeah. these people, in the hope that that's enough. But I think it'll all be about actually people start seeing the clips and seeing the trailers and everything. Yeah, because so, even you know, Damien Chazelle doing yeah. the drama series. Like, I mean, but as James said, it was hard to get super excited about anything because they couldn't really show you anything. Obviously, it was a load of of massive names. I mean, when you've when you do have JJ and Damien Chazelle um, and Reese Witherspoon and Steven Spielberg and Oprah, it can you kind of get a weird like celebrity blindness. Like it's hard to get excited by any of it. You don't really know what any of it is. And yeah, it's a very Apple way of doing things, isn't it? It's like (laughs) it's kind of you know, it's like we're going to show you these shiny people, these famous shiny famous people and we're going to tell you what they're doing, but we're not going to actually show you much of any of them and get into the nitty gritty of them it's almost like I don't they, it doesn't feel like yet they're like a proper TV content provider yeah but I think closer to the time remember, this is, they're launching it now and it's not even starting to the autumn no so I, I'm assuming by then we'll get more of an idea um, in the end I think people are just going why don't you just buy Netflix as well well which you know yeah 
I mean, the highlights here. Well, so so Steven Spielberg is doing amazing stories, which he was a he was a big fan of when he used to watch it as a kid. Uh, as you said, the morning show. This Reese Witherspoon, Jennifer Aniston, Steve Carell in that. Uh, Jason Momoa and Alfred Woodard in C, which is a kind of post-apocalyptic thing, isn't it? Centuries in the future, where there's a virus has left everyone blind. So that's absolutely up my alley. I'm going to watch that. Kumail Nanjiani. He's doing uh, Little America, an anthology series. Uh, with Emily Gordon, his partner, uh, Little Voice is uh, is the one that I think, that's the one JJ Abrams is working on, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So we've got this, and, and Oprah's doing a load of stuff on there as well. So there's there's a lot going on. Yeah, this is is Apple TV Plus. The service is called. Uh, it does, as Boyd says, launch in the autumn uh, in the US. I believe it was what was it nine ninety nine dollars in the US? Yeah, was so. it a month? So it'd probably be the same for pounds over mm-hmm. here. The interesting thing about um, it, the other thing about it is that's, that's classically Apple is you can only watch it on Apple devices. Yeah, see, or, mm, yeah, right. Now, yes. which is classic Apple. It right? is classic. And but you think not, about it, not entirely. No, no, no. So not on entirely. certain, certain a, Samsung yeah, TVs, so they're phasing yeah, yeah. in smart they're TV stuff. In. But, certain, but these, like Samsung TVs, I know they're not Android TVs, are they? Then they have their, they have their own, yeah, their own OS. Yeah. So yeah. Android TVs, of which I have one, do you know what I mean? It's like, that's not going to get it. No, so it's yeah. not going to help me. And yeah. I, own, I don't use any, yeah. like, I stream my stuff through yeah. Android stuff. I think that's immediately weird. I'm like, yeah. it's very Apple way of doing but things to be an enclosed. What's and it, it's what's twofold, the- isn't it? So they're launching, the, they're putting together this new app, isn't it? Their TV yeah. app, which will amalgamate all the streaming service. So in the US, you'll be able to get your, you know, uh, your HBO, your your. CBS All Access, but not Netflix. Stars Play, or <laughs> but not Hulu, Netflix, but not Netflix. So everything but Netflix, you'll be able to get on this one yes. thing again. Apple yep. devices, yeah. The app will come on your phone, and then you'll get Apple TV Plus. Mm. Should you choose to subscribe to it, yeah. I don't know. It's it's getting like just the simple act of watching TV seems to be getting increasingly complicated every month. It's quite exhausting. And that's why we have Pilot TV. <laughs> that's why you have Pilot TV magazine. Excellent boy. He's just choking He's on choking his water to death. He's boring water. I'm joking yeah. on. See, <laughs> boy, that was disease. That's what made you choke. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, see, Terry's been proved right yet again. Okay, so that was Apple News. What else have we got? I want to talk about the final Killing Eve trailer. Okay. Um, I don't know if you saw it. It is, I mean, their whole marketing campaign has just been exceptional. And this final trailer, which is the last thing we're going to see before it starts, April 7th. In so America. really soon in, in America. America. <laughs> and we're hearing now June. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, it's probably not going to be as quick as we'd hoped, um, which makes me want to rip my own skin off and set it on fire or the the skin of the person who made that decision. Mm. Um, And it's amazing that it starts off at the beginning and it's a narration with Villanelle. And she says, um, when you love someone, you will do crazy things. And then there's this amazing shot where she puts on, she's escaping from the hospital. As everyone knows, she's been stabbed at the end of the last season. And she, you see these stained yellow crocs and she starts to like gingerly have to put her bare feet in this clearly not very clean nurse's cr- It's just like the pitch of it tonally is exactly as you'd hope it to be. And the rest of the trailer unfolds with the same kind of beautiful tension between a genuine, amazing, Amazingly taught crime thriller and just that weird offbeat humor. Absolutely impeccable. I'm so excited and also angry, which yeah. is pretty much how I spend my entire <laughs> life. But um. yeah, yeah. That's, that's that's you in a nutshell right now. Hugh Dancy, did you hear, is joining Claire Danes in the final season of Homeland? Am I the only one who cares about that? No, I did see that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, It's more interesting than you think because they're married, aren't they? They are married, yes. yes. And also, Hugh Dancy's who awesome. Who <laughs> Married people on telly together. Who knows what might happen? Nothing. They'll act and then go home and have some tea. <laughs> wow. This is domestic bliss, the Terry White way. Um, <laughs> that is a brilliant... I mean, it's you're not, right. You're not wrong. <laughs> but not wrong. Hugh Dancy's awesome, and I really like Homeland, so I'm excited yeah. about this fact. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. Any, well, anything wait, else you... you want to say on that? <laughs> I mean, is he going to? He's going to play. No, I know who's going to play. I can John Zabel. Yeah, he's going to play John Zabel. He's a Beltway consultant who joins <laughs> the new White House as a, in a foreign policy advisory role, <laughs> butting head with Saul Berenson. Right. I very much enjoy your. Uh, I'm going to add a bit of drama to this thing I'm about to say. That's quite tedious, voice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was very good. Yeah, oh, it yeah. worked though, didn't it? Uh, okay, did we, did okay. we know this time last week that Bette Midler was in the Politician? Yeah, that been confirmed. Oh no, it hadn't. Yeah. It came out on Monday. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, so you mentioned the Politician yeah. last week, yeah. and yeah. then Bette Midler has joined the, uh, an already incredible cast that's got Jessica Lange and Gwyneth Paltrow in it and stuff. And yeah, that show is getting more and more incredible every time they have a little another morsel of news about it. James. <laughs> That's good. Another bit of news for Terry. The second season of the Charmed reboot. I know. It's still going ahead, but it's got a new showrunner. New showrunner and apparently right. a completely new vision. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I mean, <laughs> that sounds like think, it went so well. I mean, I don't want to be self important, but maybe they listen to the pilot TV <laughs> yeah. podcast. They're like, oh, wow, apparently this is really shit. We might want to rethink it. I mean, look, if I was the showrunner on Charmed, I would have done an amazing job. Yeah. So, all I would say yeah. is revisit the source material. It was excellent. Um, and stop making a new one. I've got, I've got two bits of voice acting news for you. Oh. Are you voice acting at the moment? Yes. Uh, Taika Waititi. Taika Waititi. It's going to be the voice of Bounty Hunter IG-88 in The Mandalorian. That's nuts. I'm well excited oh, about yes. that. Oh, yes. The Mandalorian is like your, is your Dune slash... <laughs> yeah. What's the other one? No, Picard. 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 They're both... Time. I think I see them as a trio. Yeah. 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 A threesome of, uh, frankly, dull casting no, news. Anything with Taika Waititi is good news, yeah? His voice? The voice... No, he did the voice of Korg in Thor Ragnarok. He's awesome. Yeah, I know, but how excited can you be about pieces of voice casting? I mean, I'm, I'm quite pretty, excited. Okay, okay. Well, I mean, look at this, James. Look how excited he is. See if this floats your boat more because this is a sentence I never ever thought I would read okay just I want you to savour this this headline Danny Trejo to voice Boots in Dora and the Lost City of Gold what? yes Danny Trejo is voicing Boots the Monkey in the Dora wow. the Explorer movie Wow. Or TV show, or whatever it is. TV I show. hope it's a TV <laughs> show, otherwise what is it doing yeah. in the podcast? The Dora the Explorer TV show yes, Dora and the Lost City of Gold Danny Trejo is Boots Wow. That is good. Yeah did you mention Supernatural coming to an end? Supernatural is coming to an end after fifth. So the fifteenth season will oh. be its last. We had a, a proper old send off for that on the Apple podcast. Did. Helen was devastated. Yeah, devastated. Oft mentioned in the in the. Uh, it's become that's a, right. We're going to have to think of a whole new identity for Helen on the podcast. It's Chris really, is going to have to think of a new running joke. I know. It's, it's, I mean, it's, <laughs> they didn't think through the effect no, it would have on us. They really I think didn't. That's the thing that hurts the yeah, most. Yeah, it's terrible. Uh, yeah, Sam and Dean will be hanging up there. Winchester's, I guess, uh, for good at the end of the 15th season. That's uh, that's that's proper sad. But you mentioned uh, you, Boyd, you mentioned yes. Picard, and you therefore opened the door to the fact that, <laughs> piece of news came out, during the uh, Star Trek Discovery panel at some festival somewhere, Alex Gertzman revealed that he almost cried when he heard Patrick Stewart reading the script for the first episode of the upcoming Picard. Is that a news item? It is now. <laughs> is that qualifying? Yep. Okay. I'm saying so. Uh, Ricky Gervais has confirmed that um, he's working on a second season of Afterlife. I don't know how I feel about this. I have to say, because it feels so entirely self-contained. Mm. I wasn't sure he would actually do a second one. Yeah. It, it has a complete arc. And obviously you can see, without obviously revealing what happens at the end, but you can see where you would pick up a second season. Um, and, you know... The right, we've talked about this. Performances were fantastic. The writing was 
beautifully done. I just, I don't know how I feel mm. about it. I kind of felt like it had, it had done its job and told its story. Yeah. And I understand, right? In, I was reading, I think it was a piece on Rolling Stone about the kind of second season syndrome that there are plenty of things that actually arguably could have been perfect one season shows. So, you know, whether it's Big Little Lies or Handmaid's Tale and but the pressure once something's been successful to bounce straight into a second season. It'll be interesting to see um, kind of um, where the relationship goes in the second mm. season or, and presumably there is a kind of second wave of grief after the immediate kind of first year of grief. Um, but yeah, it'll be... Yeah, I agree. It's interesting. You feel? He Sorry. had no. I in when in my uh, BAFTA interview with him, he had he immediately was like, I I uh, asked him about the issue of a second series. He was immediately like, yeah, I I know in my head roughly what it'll be. Um, it's like he kind of I think he compared it to I might get this wrong, but he compared it to like if you think to the first series as leading up to Christmas Day or something like in someone's life a big day in someone's life and he has a big revelation and he kind of there's a, there's a redemption and everything. Mm. He said, well, this is like Boxing Day. This is like what happens from from then on afterwards. There's still big events, still big events to come, and there's still more to look forward to. And yeah, it will be a whole new direction and a whole new Boxing turn. Boxing Day. Yeah, I mean, I can. I can see Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve. Christmas <laughs> Maybe he Day meant Eve. 10 years. Box- I may have got this analogy totally wrong, but <laughs> it was something to do with big Boxing event Day? days in people's lives. And that there'll be, yeah, this, the second series will be, will lead up to another one. It'll be, yeah, investigated in a different way. But he seemed very confident. I mean, he is very confident. And do you seemed, think he already had that in his mind yeah, from the from beginning? Yeah, the sound of it. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think he's definitely not a one series man. He, he's His whole thing is always thinking of two series, mm. two of six episodes of pretty much everything he does and has and that's been the way so far so i think he generally his ideas come in like that Mm. kind of form in a way so yeah but it's it's interesting did you hear the alien noah hawley news so noah hawley wanted to make a tv series set in the alien universe noah hawley obviously did you say uh, he wanted to he wanted to do it was not allowed to was not allowed to do it (laughs) noah hawley of fargo and legion fame wanted to make a, a series basically based on 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 alien but he was stopped was that because Ridley Scott wanted to make too many boring films about it? No, he was stopped one of the executives at Fox. And <laughs> okay. uh, and so it's one of the things that might have been, but never will be. That would have been brilliant. I do like, I think No Hawley is, is yeah. great. And that is news. Before we press on with reviews, it is time for this week's guests. Hannah and the Killing Stars, Mireille Enos and Joel Kinnaman, stopped by for a chat to discuss both shows and the fact that both of them could kick the shit out of me really without breaking a sweat. So, Hannah is a long-form kind of TV adaptation of the 2011 Joe Wright film, uh, which handily was also co-written by David Farr. Yes. So, how did he originally pitch this to you? Like, what got, how did he get you hooked? Well, he sent me scripts. I mean, that helps. It does, <laughs> especially when you have David Farr writing. Yeah. And um, it's such spare, beautiful storytelling. Mm-hmm. So, he did that first. He just sent scripts to read, and then we sat down and had a conversation. And, um, and he talked about all the different aspects of this story that he still wanted to explore, the mm. coming of age and um, the, the spy action side and this kind of strange version of a family that he was interested in, in exploring. I mean, it's been five years, hasn't it, since the killing finished? So people yes, will be very yeah. excited to see you guys back together. Mm. However, <laughs> obviously, uh, Eric and Melissa, their relationship is probably as far from Holder and Linden's as you can get. I mean, was that part of the fun of doing this? Well, I think it was a criteria. Yeah, um, I, yeah when, I, when I got sent this and Marie was texting me, like, take a look at it, please. And, and um, 
you know, it, it was a huge incentive for me that yeah, Ray yeah. was in it. And um, but I always felt like when we were gonna reteam for something, it had to be something that was very different from the killing. Yeah. And um, and this is like the polar opposite in in terms of character dynamics. Definitely. And um, but that was what, one of the things that was like so exciting when we, especially in episode three and four, when our characters sort of get in the, in the same room together. Mm-hmm. And in episode four, it's almost like a mini play between us. Yeah. And, um, and we just right away, we got into it. And I mean, the characters are so different. I mean, I'm playing like a German accent and she's just very different and the dynamic is so different. But immediately, like our flow was the same. Yeah. And, and it's just like, oh, that's right. It's just so fun and easy mm-hmm. to play with Marie. And, um, yeah, you just, you just read each other so well. Yeah. And our characters have like a real deep history. So us having such a good history and, you know, a long history, it just, it, it, it fills that sort yeah. of void. I mean, you mentioned episode four. I mean, that's, that's a pretty exciting one because, I mean, she's yeah. a CIA operative. He's a kind of rogue agent who's yeah. basically sworn to kill her, you know, yeah. and you do spend quite a bit of the early show apart. And then that... Comes. And as you say, the, it's a bit like a small off. play, and it's. Yes. I mean, it's pretty intense. What was that like to to shoot? So that fun. was the highlight of the shoot for me. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. Too. What yeah. was that? One of the early ones? Did you? When? Where was that in the, the shooting schedule? Well, in we order chronologically. Yeah. yeah okay. So yeah. that was kind of in the middle. Yeah. yeah. And because if we're talking chronologically, I mean, Joel, you spend your character spends the first fifteen years of the narrative living in a frozen forest, which mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. interesting <laughs> lifestyle choice. I mean, uh, and you Swedish, tried this. So it's easy, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's easy for me to imagine. <laughs> you, t- you tried this briefly, didn't you? Did you spend three days in a cabin? Yeah, uh, I did. Yeah. I mean, is this a thing that you do? Is this a very method approach to it? Um, I, it was just sort of an exercise. I, I took it as an opportunity to. Uh, to challenge myself in a way that I've, I've been thinking about doing in different ways before, yeah. just to kind of unplug. And I, I just realized like I'm so addicted to my devices and my distractions and all these communications that you have. And, um, and it, was, it was kind of disheartening of how like powerful the boredom was yeah. and how ill-equipped I was to deal with it. And I, I, was, I was so close to just giving up in the, the first night. And um, and then I sort of got over it, and it was, uh, yeah, it was it was uh, it was good. It was really good for me. I was up in I, I got a little cabin. Um, the Polish mountains, wasn't it? Yeah, in the yeah. Tatra mountains. It was yeah. like two thousand meters up. I had to like ride a forty-minute <laughs> snow scooter ride from the last station. It's amazing. Yeah. And um, no electricity, no running water, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so it was it was it was pretty. Uh, when I was out walking during the day, and it was snowing heavy, and, and I realized if I get stuck here. It's a wrap. I mean, there's no Twitter reception up there at no, all. No, no. You know, these are serious issues we have to do. Yeah, very serious. Yeah. Well, I'm sure. We, presumably, we couldn't pay you to do something like that. Or would you love I, it? You no, know, maybe... I'd be really scared. I'd be scared, <laughs> especially at night. Yeah. When it gets dark. I mean, I don't like being alone in like a hotel room. Yeah, but, but I mean, like when I when I was like sneaking out in the middle of the night with my little like like headlight uh, and I had to you know walk out to take shit and uh, and all of a sudden like I'm standing there with like with my pants halfway down and I was like was that a bear? <laughs> and I could just like I really would have wanted like a camera on myself and I was like walking around with my ass out and just like terrified with a headlight uh, I think it was a pretty good oh, sight. That's a whole yeah. other concept of show right there I think. <laughs> 
guys, you mentioned the obviously the, the original where this comes from is a very different tone. Like um, mm. uh, Joe Wright took a deliberately skewed, almost sort of surrealist fairy tale yeah. tone to that. So it's, it's a very different beast. And I think the character of Melissa in particular, it's like a mm. Wicked Witch of the West type right. character, <laughs> the way Kate Blanchett plays it. So yeah. would you say yours is a more grounded iteration of that character? Yeah, she's fully three-dimensional, yeah. complicated. You know, she has a lover in a nice apartment, and um, you know, and then she's ordering deaths via her iPad. So there's <laughs> as you would, yeah, as, yeah, yeah. as one does. Um, yeah, super grounded. Yeah, yeah. Do you, I mean, and she's she's more sympathetic, isn't she? As you say, she's more rounded. I, I would like to think so. I mean, that's my goal. Mm. Um, I think all three of these characters. Um, there's no clear her- hero or heroine yeah. or villain. They're, they've no. all done very dark things, and yeah. they've all done things that are, are you know, selfless. And um, so. And that I, is like a testament to David's writing that he, yeah. you know, he gives the characters real nuance. And mm-hmm. even though kind of, so she plays sort of the structural villain, but she also has sides that are very opposed to that. And um, I think both me and Esme's character, we do some horrible things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And. Um, and it's just that it, it takes place in a moral gray zone. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I think a lot of TV does these days. Yeah. I, mean, I think people expect it more. Yeah. It's not quite so But that's what makes it interesting. If it's, yeah. if it's black and white, then you already have all the answers, then there's nothing to, you know, to discover. Yeah, yeah. Well, quite. And you, now, am I right in saying you got bitten by the martial arts bug when you did Altered Carbon? Yeah. yeah. And did you keep up with that after yeah. the show? So what, what did you train mm-hmm. in? Um, well, I, I mostly train Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Mm. That is my obsession. It's so lots of grappling. grappling. Yeah, it's super addictive mm. in an odd way. People get really addicted to it. Um, and then I, I train some Thai boxing. And yeah. but uh, but Jiu-Jitsu is like my new, my biggest passion actually. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I really love it. And it's been, it, it really works for work as well. I've, I got some Jiu-Jitsu in in <laughs> Hannah. You see, in the first episode, she yeah. chokes me out. I let yeah. her choke me out. Uh, that, was, that was my invention. Um, I think that was pretty cool. Uh, I don't think that's ever been done on film before. Um, like that, that where you choke someone out in a training session. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And um, and I was I was uh, I was pushing Marie and because we had we had such a good relationship with the, with the stunt team on yeah. the show, and. Um, and I was, I was pushing Ray. I was like, "You really, you really gotta like uh, get in there and uh, and and be a part of um, mm-hmm. uh, working out the scenes because what people don't know about Marae is that I mean she's like a taekwondo black belt, really, and uh, she, she can really fight. And um, mm-hmm. so it, it was just a great opportunity, I thought, you know, for her too to really get in there. And, and the, there's yeah. there's a couple of fight scenes that she has in this film that is really impressive. Yeah. You know, there's no. Um, there's no cuts in yeah. the edit. Yeah, we got to shoot it all in one. It's and, um, I always love it when they fun. do that. It's yeah. like you know, like the John Wick films, a lot of master mm-hmm. shots, yeah. a lot of really great choreography. Yeah, yeah. and th- those are the '87 11 guys who did John Wick, and mm-hmm. those are the ones that I um, that I trained with for Alter Carbon, and they're now good friends. Yeah, and, they're very very um, good at what they do. Yeah. So like yeah. you're gonna see Murray do some serious <laughs> ass, ass kicking in this. Uh, How long have you been doing taekwondo fun. for? Twelve years. Twelve years. Okay, so you can start. No, no, no. She's legit. <laughs> so either of you, really, if push came to shove, could train the small orphan girl to become a, you know, monster killing machine. Correct. So that's yes. that's, that's 
good information. I'll keep these yep. questions very on the level. <laughs> it's all good. Um, I mean, we, we talked about The Killing briefly. It's been, as we said, it's been five years. I'm a massive fan of that show. Really, really enjoyed it. Mm. But it was a bit of a bumpy ride for a while, wasn't it? Because obviously AMC got cold feet after season two. Yeah. And then again after season then, three before Netflix stepped yeah, in. Yeah, and then Netflix rescued it. Yeah. I mean, was that quite frustrating at the time? Yeah, it was super bizarre. Yeah. Because part of being an actor is you say goodbye to things and then you move on. And then once you've moved on, like, mm. to go back feels very strange. Yeah. And, but then we did for season three. And season three, I actually think, is the strongest. So I'm really glad that mm. story got told. But then it, then Sarah gets left in the woods, you know, and we didn't know if it was going to have... Anyway, ultimately, yeah. I'm so glad that we got to um, give yeah. it an ending. Yeah, yeah, me too. And it was one of those shows where... I, it was the first job that I had since I came to the U.S. and I was, yeah, I was younger and definitely more of an idiot. <laughs> and um, and I, I think I learned to appreciate the show more mm -hmm. as it went along. I was really, you know, I had these ideas. I wanted to be a movie star, blah blah blah. And you know, I, I didn't, I didn't really see the value of mm -hmm. it, uh, you know, in, until it kind of. Um, until it moved along a little bit, yeah. and then in, in the, the third and fourth season, I realized like, oh, this is really this is important to me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think in the beginning, I more saw it as like as a means to an end in a way. Yeah. You know, yeah. you kind of get caught up in your in the career thinking, and you yeah. don't realize that no, you have to focus on what you're doing right now. This is the value of what you're doing right here. Yeah. And um, yeah, by the end, it really felt like a personal offering. Yeah. yeah, and you got to finish on your own terms, which is nice. Because yeah. if it had ended at the end of season three, while it was a great season, that would have been yes. upsetting. Yes, um, we're going to see you again very soon on Amazon on in Good Omens, where you play a horseman of the apocalypse. Yes, <laughs> which must be a nice change of pace. Yes, I get to play war, but she walks around the planet calling herself Scarlet. So oh, okay. Very fun. <laughs> have you have you guys ever read any Terry Pratchett stuff? No. Yeah, I highly recommend it. If you ever find yourself in a cabin in the woods, minus fifteen <laughs> degrees, take some Terry Pratchett with you. Highly recommend it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Fantastic. Well, guys, thank you very much indeed. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks so much. That was Marie Enos and Joel Kinnaman, and their new show, Hannah, is available to stream in its entirety now on Amazon Prime Video. And on to this week's reviews. First up this week, we have the seventh season of Armando Iannucci's Veep, which sees Selena running for president again. Now, this is not only the seventh, but also the last series of Veep. It's also, incidentally, the first series to reflect how the world has changed since the whole Trump thing happened. As season six, I believe, was already written, boy, this is right, it was already written by the time Trump got elected. Yeah. So this is the first sort of post-Trump Veep. What did you think, Boyd? Uh, I love Veep. I'm a massive fan. Now, first of all, Amanda Gucci isn't the showrunner anymore. I think he. this is the second yeah. series which yeah. he's stopped being a showrunner, but people that are involved in the show um, uh, run, it with, run it in a similarly brilliant way. Mm -hmm. I worship... Julia Louis-Dreyfus, because she's not only was the greatest comedy character in the history of television in Elaine and Seinfeld, in my in my favourite show of all time, Seinfeld, she's great. She stars in this other incredible, iconic uh, role as Selena yeah. in Veep, and she is so fantastically twattish and so unapologetically not nice is what I think is 
brilliant about this show and yet you do somehow i, I do anyway <laughs> really like her how horrible she is how horrible she's prepared to be how kind of ruthless and how and how she treats everyone and yet i, I kind of you just kind of kind of want to be in her company i love the nastiness of it and the nastiness of it for me in this seemed to be slightly ratcheted up if anything there were like lines about there's a whole there's a line about abortion yeah. there's um the shooting the shooting <laughs> yes uh, that's really that was edgy stuff Ooh. yeah it's no holds barred, edgy, super confident stuff. Yeah. I love, I know and love all of these characters. All the gang, they, they basically what they've done is show she's for, f- f- it's almost like a slight spin on the idea. Imagine if Hillary Clinton, despite everything that happened, one more go, she thought, I'm going to do one more go at standing for president. And not just because she's a woman. I'm not. That's not what I'm comparing them. It's more like that kind of figure who stood defeated got really complicated. A lot of people blame that person for their campaign. And yet she's still trying again <laughs> with all the same people on her campaign. And it's in- intrinsically funny. I think it's a brilliantly done show. I love it. And I love this opening episode. This It's just, it's really, really well written. Again, incredibly creative use of language. The swearing was absolutely magnificent. Uh, the whole thing where she talks about, do I really want to sound the president for all Americans? All of them? Really? You know, it's really nice. Yeah, it's and, like a celebration of cynicism. Yeah, it really which, is. Which the whole is, thoughts and prayers yeah. riff they do in it. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of stuff to unpack with this. Razor sharp writing, I thought, you know, just sort of brilliantly observed. Also, I thought thoroughly depressing, I think, as well, because it does, it does stray very close to reality. And it's a funny thing with a show like this. You look at it and you can... If someone said to me, this is a documentary behind the scenes on a campaign, I would take that at face value. I would say it's unlikely that people will be this funny and articulate, but sure, other than that, I totally believe this. I and I, I'm where James was in that I don't have a great deal of history with the show. The weird, I, I did enjoy it, but there was something which kind of um, jarred a little bit in the sense of actually how close it did come to modern day politics, but only in the sense that modern day politics is so much worse. So it kind of almost <laughs> takes the edge off do you know what i mean because mm. it's so close to what is happening they reference all the stuff about the nation um nationwide divide um uh there's the thing about oh you know this country is getting more disgusting by the second yep. and it's oh that's a demo we're targeting uh mainly <laughs> via facebook and there's and it's so m- closely mirrors what's happening and yet the politics the real world politics we're in the midst of especially in terms of trump it's so fucking disgusting that something almost didn't work. And and boy, to your point, obviously the nastiness is is greater in some respects, presumably to kind of reference yes. the fact that it yes. has to be it has to be more than reality, right? Because yeah. otherwise it is in the yeah. sense almost like a, a documentary. But I think she I mean, she is incredible. She's, She's just one of the greatest mm. yeah. comics and writers and actors, you know, of our generation, um, completely. Um but yes, there were moments that I didn't feel like there's a massive kind of narrative drive or there was something a bit flat about it and I couldn't work out if that was just my complete saturation with watching Trump on TV and I watch a lot of Trump documentaries and I'm kind of obsessed with modern American politics and the nastiness of it and the mm. um, erosion of any any kind of civil discourse on social media and even within news media and that kind of puts it in an interesting place um, and I think obviously the, the aim has always been right for Veep to exist no matter who's the president in yeah. real life and what the political yeah. situation is. It is harder though, you're right. You're absolutely right. And uh, this, this was definitely an open, a 
reestablishment mm. episode. This is the bringing them back. So it's been away for two years. Because mm. um, Dreyfus was ill, she had cancer, yeah. um, and so I feel like this is this is quite a you're right a kind of plot light reintroduction yeah. of these people. And I would I would say go if you go the last series was absolutely incredible in so many ways. Like it, and I think what it had was um, it had moments where it found a way. Of even though, as you say, it was kind of, I think it was kind of roughly. They knew Trump was on the rise, yeah. But they find a way to comment on that. For example, the character of Jonah, the, the tall guy, yeah, he's the lanky guy, guy, he's it? the yeah. Trump yeah. guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's different. He's but he is an absolute moron and a horrendous bully and gigantic unpleasant, twat, unpleasant every way. So he's this close you'll get to a kind of Trump-ish figure, yeah. and he's been in it for years though. So it kind of it's kind of works very mm. well because he's been I think from the start actually you know and he's kind of risen and risen and risen and now he's going to be presidential candidate so that works they also they're brilliant devices like in the, they have they build up the series generally so there was a huge build up in a previous series to an election which was a total neck and neck and to the point where you know you had the Senate representatives having to vote each of them for who who would they elect it got down to that and it was so brilliantly done they do reach peaks of excitement mm. and they do and so there, there will be a big arc but I presume in this final series the last ever series series um so i would say stick with it but i to- i think this def- this episode is definitely like you know just bringing us all back and welcoming us back into the into the world rather than yeah anything particularly thrilling or exciting but i'm sure it will build up to it and obviously this is the seventh season of v- if people want to catch up from the beginning are they all available on like sky box sets yes or i believe they are yes okay. there's one one more episode my favorite episode they've ever done which they did so in the last series they established her daughter who is in a relationship with the one of her bodyguards claire duval yeah right so the two of them are together and they they slightly established that the daughter was wanted to make a documentary about what was going filming everything so she was filming everything as all as the series was going on on her iphone or you know slightly on a little camera or whatever and then suddenly they dropped i think it was the penultimate episode the entire episode was that documentary she had been filming that's genius so all the stuff you'd seen it was just co- observing that and commenting on that and it was so brilliantly done it was an absolute masterpiece it, so when the, at its heights i think veep is one of the best shows but it kind of but there are moments it takes time to reach those yeah. heights I would say. well i'm gonna go back and watch this because uh, and also all of the thick of it so i'm, I'm yeah you've I'm got a, a lot i am a convert of, uh, to this of uh, great political comedy i watch. really i just want to take notes on the creative swearing so i can use it on the podcast Fair enough. Uh, that is Veep, which debuts on uh, Wednesday, April the 3rd at 10 past 10 on Sky Atlantic. And now TV. And now TV. Thank you, Boyd. <laughs> Following directly on from Veep on Wednesday on Sky Atlantic and now TV <laughs> is the second season of Barry. This is Bill Hader's hitman comedy about a professional killer who discovers his love for the stage when he accidentally joins an acting class. After getting embroiled with the Chechen mob and finally getting out of the killing business by, well, killing someone, uh, Barry is on the straight and narrow as we rejoin him in season two, but like Michael Corleone, just when he thought he was out, they pull him back in. Isn't that right, Terry? Um, I loved this. So I didn't watch the first season. And when I watched the opening episode of the second season, I went back and watched the end of the first season um, because it is crucial. Obviously, the whole setup is that he did have to um, kill Janice at the end of the first season. She was she basically discovered the truth about him and where it picks up is dealing with his feelings of guilt. Um, And the right from the opening scene, 
the the casual nature with which death and brutality <laughs> no. uh, is meted out, the comedic timing of the whole thing. It, I mean, it it starts with a bang. The, it, literally, yeah. That third. opening hit is fucking hilarious. It's just brilliantly done. And yeah, so he's a hitman turned actor. A lot of it is set, and a lot of his emotions are worked out with this acting class. Um, some of the characters within that class are just brilliant. Um, it's really a two hander with Henry um, Wrinkler, 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 <laughs> yeah. Henry. The Winkler, <laughs> really Winkler, um, and they're both dealing with the consequences of of Janice's death, and yeah. and it's about grief, and it's about regret, and it's about um, just sadness and shame, and and the consequences of of life. And there are moments of I have to say, there's a, a, a scene towards the end in the acting class uh-huh. um, where they're dealing with past trauma and acting out past trauma, and I was moving between being in tears and cracking up with like it is so beautifully handled i think bill hader is just a fucking genius because as you say it's it's simultaneously hilarious but also horrific and tragic as he's acting out his face right his first kill when he was in the army and it's and you're going between flashbacks and what's happening next to him and then there are these close-up shots on his face and the emotion he uh-huh. wears on his face is just extraordinary. But it's also, I mean, so funny. So it is, is it Noho? I want to say Noho Hank, who plays the um, uh, the leader of the of the Chechen the mob. Chechen. Oh I my love God. him. He's, yeah. So there's a bit and he goes, he's walking through like the warehouse where drugs, presumably, and money are being, you know, trafficked or whatever they do with them. And he goes and he's like, yo boo, the LA operation is like going super great. And it's just the delivery the jokes it is so original um and as i say like in that kind of short episode you flip between this total darkness total sadness um and just really really funny bits from what i can tell it's a little bit darker than Mm. it plunges you kind of into that um that kind of other end of the spectrum quite quickly and there's less of the out and out humor but I absolutely loved, loved, loved this. Loved it. Yeah, it's it's brilliant, and it, I think the first the first was one of the real surprises of yeah, last year. It was because even though yeah, you you know Bill Hader's great, and it was co created with um, Guy Watt and Seinfeld and Curb, mm. two of the greatest, possibly the two greatest comedies of all time, James. And <laughs> Thank um, you, the, oh, exciting! But I feel there was a slight. It, it was almost like sneaked out a little bit by HBO. I didn't feel there was a huge fanfare for it. it didn't yeah. feel like. And then you watched it, and, and this is what I kind of point I was trying to make about the Apple stuff. It kind of almost doesn't matter. Yeah. Bill Hader and this guy. Yeah, on paper. Then you start gets, watching but, it and it's yeah. all about the tone the execution. and the execution. No pun intended. Exactly. And this is the most deadpan <laughs> thing, yeah. comedy, yeah. I think I've ever seen. Yeah. It's so, as you say, the timing is so brilliant. So it is funny, but the laughs are so are delivered so skillfully yeah. through completely deadpan moments and tragic moments. As you say, in that, yes, the, 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 the character of the girlfriend, um, Sally, oh. and she is fantastic she's she's actually she's like the secret weapon of the whole series i think but she and the stuff she has to do in this episode which she's dealing with previous trauma and what's brilliant is it all it, it's so complex because he's trying to, he's an assassin fresh assassin albeit trying to quit but that final scene showed how he's trying to be the decent one and can't kind of go along with the thing that he's need, supposed to be doing in this acting moment with her to try and be not an, a better person. Yeah. And yet she's getting furious with him. And it's so, it works on so many levels. So the scene in the car park, which goes, I want to be there for you, but like tomorrow, yes. but like not too early, like noon, yeah. I want to do yoga. For, and it was just, yeah. I mean, the delivery. It, yeah. 
So it's all—it's kind of you know—it's about would-be actors yeah. uh, in, in this day and age. It, about, it deals with all that. It, it is about violence. It's about trauma. It's, he's a—you know—he's a war veteran. The stuff about him teaching those people to shoot in—you know—but he's launching a class now. You know, all of it is—it just works so brilliantly. Yeah, but it also yeah. works well because he obviously is the amoral killer, but he's also the moral center of the show. Yeah, because right. yeah. you're looking exactly. at him, and he is coming to terms with the stuff that he's—the baggage he has, this, the emotional, yeah. you know, weight of the things that he's done. Whereas the only reason he's able to carry off this double life as a civilian and a hitman is because the other people in his life are so catastrophically self-obsessed that no one pays any attention. Yeah. So he is, you know, he is at once... Yeah. He's, he's very, it's, it's so interesting. Fast character. So you've got this, Barry and Killing Eve, two incredible, yeah. brilliant dark comedies about assassins yeah. in one of which is is a psychopath and he's definitely not a psychopath no. i think that's no. the interesting thing and that and, 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 and you know they're both incredible in very different ways i think it's intriguing but it's interesting because it kind of taps into that thing that people talk about when they have like veterans courts and stuff in the us that when you send someone to war when they come back you can't expect them to behave in the same way as a normal person starting right. with normal yeah. boundaries sure. because when you've been out there killing people on a daily yeah. basis yeah that's fundamental sort of the greatest of all taboos no longer has that kind of meaning so he can still be you know a non-psychopathic person but yeah. having been pushed over that line in warfare he comes back and killing people is kind of no big deal to him well you also do get a sense that it's you know it's his last resort almost and it's and it's that thing of you can never justify murder but at the same time mm. you're like well he was totally backed into a corner and you feel <laughs> yeah. you feel his reluctance and you yeah. believe his reluctance and you believe that it's you know all kind of outside of his control and that he's it's either kind of him or her and he has to do it to stay alive himself you really buy into that narrative which I think is really important because it's not as you say it's not willy nilly and, and yeah. it was something that he did and now you feel the weight of it suffocating in him and how does he now survive having done that and i think it works oh, one more thing i think i think you're absolutely right and they have interesting they haven't really joined the dots as to how he went from his previous life no. to become an assassin they've kind of left that and i think that's really interesting because i think they don't need to i think it makes it more effective i think it makes it almost more universal i know we're not assassins but any of us can end up in a job that yeah. feels immoral and that we feel yeah. ashamed about and i think that's it's dealing with that as well and particularly if you're a journalist you know yeah. you can there's only certain you know publications you can out working for and i know a lot of people who are kind of ashamed of what they do because and it's not their fault and there's a bit of that in it and i think that happens all, all over you know society and making that profound point there. there you go very profound boy thanks uh that is barry season two which kicks off on sky atlantic and now tv on <laughs> wednesday april 3rd at 10 45 p.m finally this week is what i'm going to hazard is terry's preferred option a four-part documentary series the case against adnan sied which picks up where sarah koenig's hit podcast serial left off examining the controversy around the 1999 murder of student Haley min in baltimore for which adnan sied has spent the last 20 years in prison possibly rightly possibly wrongly uh, a fair bit has kind of happened really since serial first was first broadcast and it's so so sied's conviction has been overturned and then it's been subsequently upheld um but does this documentary bring anything new terry you must be busting to tell me about this so look i think um i was keen to see what this kind of brought that serial hadn't and i read an interview with the um director um amy berg who is an oscar-winning filmmaker she yep. is a fantastic filmmaker but i was 
trying to get my head around serial was downloaded something like 175 million times mm-hmm. i read um and what would this add to the conversation because i do think there are ethical issues involved when we're talking about real people um it is worth saying that um Heyman lee's family were not involved in the making of this um yeah. so and they hadn't been involved in serial they ov- they put out a statement when serial was out saying it felt like they had to relive the trauma and i think that's a really important point i felt like it was really balanced it really it it tries to ensure you know her story they really paint a picture of her a life full of potential cut short you They speak to her friends. You get a really vivid sense. And I think there's often accusations with these things that they kind of are are so about either proving or disproving somebody's innocence or guilt that the victim often gets lost. I definitely felt like she didn't get lost. Um, And the director had said, look, I thought it could be really interesting to put visuals to that. It could be an extra element of storytelling. There were moments for me where the visual um, execution didn't quite work. So um, there were kind of pieces of animation. There were graphics used to tell bits of the story that there wasn't much to illustrate. So about a um, kind of piece of music and a dance and an event. And then there was a bit where he bought her a flower and, and that was animated. It jarred with me slightly because we're talking about real people, real crime, and somebody has been murdered. And that kind of sat uneasily with me as a storytelling device. And I could understand the kind of flair behind it, the kind of filmmaking craft that that's about. But there was something that sat uneasily for me in a tension between the content and the execution. Um, I think it's clear that there is a, a kind of a leaning, I don't know if I'd say bias, but I'd say a leaning in terms of, of where the filmmaking team thinks this yeah. sits. So the end of the first episode, they're kind of setting up this question about, it's essentially about the American justice system and the American criminal system. And is it fair? And is it essentially, was it always kind of rigged against him? Um, the one interesting thing I thought it did do is it really started to dig into kind of the race and religion aspects of it and the tension within communities and communities that sit within kind of a wider American society and and the different kind of ways that people think about relationships and about sex and about dating and about integration into modern society. I thought all of that was was super interesting. As I say, there was there were parts of it that just I was worried that we are dealing with a real family who are still grieving, who've made it clear that this is not something they kind of feel comfortable with. And there is a responsibility, I think, um, ethically in therefore how you treat the content. Is it well done? Absolutely. It's executed with real. It's really slick. She knows exactly what she's doing. Um, so I didn't, enjoy it if that's the right word mm. i will watch the entire thing but i do have some moral reservations but that's true of all all non-historic true crime stuff like when Absolutely. people are still alive where madeline mccann was is a very problematic thing to talk about yeah because- but i think there is when the victim's family is and i think that's a very specific thing when a when victim's family deliberately not involved are deliberately yeah. not involved and i can't imagine so same with meredith kircher right so yeah. which um uh amanda knox so when amanda mm. knox made that massive documentary with netflix meredith kircher's family said every time this gets told our heartbreak is like completely exposed to the world again and i cannot imagine the devastation of having to watch your daughter's 
death be used like that in the media i just think it's devastating so i think that is a but i take your point which is any discussion like this of true crime where there are real people involved there's always those kinds of issues at play i think no i listened to the first few episodes of serial i didn't finish serial though i know probably speaking where it went and i watched the first one of these serial was really really interesting and that case was quite compelling in part because there were so many layers to it and it's just it was one of those cases that really captured the imagination i think this does something that serial didn't in that adding that visual element makes it much more real mm. just seeing crime scene photographs so that, that it's so powerful just seeing the visual component to this and weirdly i found the first episode of this kind of engaged me in a way that maybe serial slightly hadn't because the audio only thing is slightly disconnected mm. Um, but I'm 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 tempted to you know which is not normally my want but I am tempted to press on with this just to kind of see how it plays out and to mm. see you know where they go. Unfortunately, I get the like so serial never my understanding like I didn't get the end of serial. They don't really come down on either side, do they? Like Sarah mm. Koenig doesn't draw a conclusion. She genuinely doesn't know by the end of it, which I think is some yeah. people as people yeah. are, are want to do. They wanted it tied up in a bow, saying no, he is innocent and this is why, and let's you know. But that didn't happen, did it? No, and she she's been very open about that. Yeah, in in the I mean the whole the whole of serial the whole of that series was effectively Sarah Kearney kind of taking us through her thoughts, wasn't it, on yeah. on this case yeah. and going yeah. at various points thinking, oh, he he's innocent, and I'm pretty sure he's yeah. innocent. But and then but and then towards <laughs> the end, and in, in in the end of from, from memory, I mean it's. It must be a few years since I actually heard it, but I remember it ends with kind of her going, "No, I'm not so sure," and she kind yeah. of runs through all the evidence, and she's just not sure. No, and so, but interestingly, this so this series has come for quite a lot of criticism in mm. America. I read quite a few reviews before I watched it. A like, variety yeah. was few, fierce, fiercely um, critical of it, kind of saying not only saying from from what you were saying, Terry, that they didn't, you know, that it was exploitative because it was we've already heard this story. Why dredge it up again? And yeah, and and the victim's family was not involved, and also kind of also saying that it was a bit tacky with because there is the animation that that illustrates the diary entries, for example. Yeah. It's, it's, it's I can see it's borderline yeah. a bit a bit cheesy. The reconstructions are always problematic for everything. Well, not really, but animated, but yeah. animated, but like animated, you know, it yeah. And it's, it's, it's a bit, feels like it makes light of it slightly. But yeah, it, you know, it reminded me actually weirdly of Supersonic. So Matt Whitecross. Um, who directed oh, yeah, Supersonic? Yeah. Um, there's a whole period of Oasis's life where there wasn't a That's great right. deal of source yeah. material, so he used animation, which yeah. feels fine in a music yes. documentary. Well, they did it in montage of Heck as well for Kurt yes, Cobain. There yeah. is something that, when, as you say, there was, you know, a thing about um, JoJo and what was the song? There was a song that yeah. they kind of um, was significant in their relationship, and they like animated that, and they were like colors and then when he gave her a rose the rose was like flashing and there was just something yeah it about feel that bit, use yes it did feel a bit I, I think it just felt a bit clunky but having said that so i was kind of all primed up to be to be really kind of angry about it <laughs> and to not but actually i think it i think it's i thought it was good i really do and i think it is valid i mean apart from the whole you know i mean every the collateral damage of 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 families of victims featured in true crime documentaries yeah. is getting is getting you know must be getting out of hand it is an incredible thing but i guess in the end you know the people who create these shows are going well for the because we're showing you the flaws in the american particularly the american criminal justice system which is like Kafkaesque, I think, and there are. I've watched episode two, and it, it will get into it more. Just how the just the tortuous processes, and you've, as you've already said, you know, he, one minute he thinks he's going to be exonerated, yeah. the next he's not. Just the whole process, all the different, all the different justices, and all the different levels of. Oh my god! It's and we've seen it in making a murder, of mm. course. The you know the other massive iconic true crime thing, if you like, cultural object, and I just felt this was a valid exploration 
of the case and 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 doesn't pretend it's not going all right so you've heard serial but this is the full this is more of a bigger picture no. we're beginning particularly about serial yeah but it does yeah well. so it doesn't pretend that it didn't happen yeah. and i think the best thing about it but which are the most important things it does focus on the victim much more than serial did so i think serial from memory had like she you know there was some suddenly she would write so let's tell you more about um, uh, Heyman Lee, but that was it. It was definitely, particularly, it was all about Adnan. And weirdly, I think this is mistitled. The case against Adnan, it makes yeah. it feel like yeah. the whole thing is going to be about him. And there are his family is involved. Well, I yeah. thought but, the case against him. I thought that this was almost like a, before I watched it that it was like a counter argument, right? So yeah. yeah, proving Same. his guilt. Same, but it's but not about that not at, all. at all. And and I think it's good that it is showing you as much as it possibly can what the, what what she was like, and you know, as a person. I think, and it did add a lot to the whole case for me. And it may, added to my understanding of it, which is what a lot of the American critics seem to be saying it didn't do, but I think it did. So for I mean, me, it it's... D- look, here's the thing, right? It's it's the age-old conversation, which is, of course, no art in any respect should be censored in terms of there should, there should be stories that are off limits. There is a man sat in jail who fundamentally protests his innocence, whose family is also absolutely convinced mm. that he is innocent. There is absolutely a valid conversation. I just think... I. Th- I, it always makes me hugely uncomfortable when as much as they are definitely painting a picture of the, of the victim and you really feel that, especially they tee that stuff up really early. So you go in with a really robust sense of who she was as a woman and who yeah. she was going to become. There is still something that sits uneasily with me and oh, it I makes agree. it hard for me. To, yeah, I found I it agree. hard to watch because of that, because yeah. I was aware before I went in that they hadn't um, been, mm. they hadn't cooperated. They weren't interviewed. Um, and that has to be their choice. And I can just, you know, as a human being, I really empathize with her family who every time, you know, this is brought up, I can't imagine how difficult that must be. Does that make this not a valid contribution? Absolutely Mm. not. Um, But I just think it's always, you always have to bear that in mind because art doesn't exist in a vacuum, right? And people's lives are... Are kind of on the line here and in in both sides of this um i am going to watch the entire thing i'm going to watch all four yeah, um so. as you say i do get the sense that this is and i think their justification as boyd said is it is a um investigation as much about the criminal justice system in america as mm. it is about this individual case and i hope it actually broadens out in that sense mm. because again i think that will also make it um a much more valid piece of work that is the case against Adnan Syed, which airs on Sky Atlantic and now TV on Monday, April the 1st at 9pm. I am very aware that we had a Sky Atlantic triple bill this week, making this, I think, officially the most elitist episode of the podcast <laughs> yet. But as Darius pointed out, and you've pointed out, Boyd, it is also on now TV, which is available to all. And the entertainment pass is seven ninety nine, <laughs> and that's all you need. seven ninety nine a month, the entertainment pass to be able to watch. It sounds like Sky an Atlantic advertorial. Shows. Are you getting kickbacks? No, I am shook. I don't have Sky. I have Now TV. And I think it's very important that people understand there is an accessible yeah, way to watch this stuff. You don't need a 100 quid Sky subscription. And you should particularly bear that in mind considering Game of Thrones is on its way in about two or three weeks. That's right. And if, and- if you want to sign up to Now TV, use the code Terry Love <laughs> and get a 5% If only discount. we were big, we should be sponsored Can you imagine? by them. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah if you're listening Now TV. Yeah. yeah, come on. And by the way, they're putting the whole series up as a box set on that month, from that Monday. So you can watch all four episodes in a okay. go if you want. Okay, good stuff. Uh, pick of the week? Barry. Barry for Terry? 
Yeah, I agree, Barry. Really? Yeah, because I Veep, thought you'd go full Veep. No, because Veep was very much an introductory episode. Well, it'll, it'll, it'll pick up, but as as an episode, Barry was okay. a brilliant, brilliant return. All right, I'm going to say Barry as well. So that's three for Barry. Watch Barry. Um, just, just time, I think, for this week's Banshee. Terry, would you like to Banshee first? I don't know which one of my previous Banshees you fancy picking up this week, <laughs> but, you know, fill your boots. Um, I am going to Banshee Party of Five. Ooh, good oh, good choice. Yes. So Party of Five, um, as I'm sure anybody who listens to the show and is of a certain age, huh. i.e. in their late 30s or early 40s, will remember was a um, Channel 4 show that ran mid mid to late 90s, right? Um, and the premise, as was be suggested by the title, um, is about five siblings, the party of five, um, who become orphans after their parents killed in a car crash caused by a drunk driver. Um, the dad essentially becomes uh, Matthew Fox, who is Charlie, who is twi- who I read recently <laughs> is meant to be twenty four. And he's literally like 45, but anyway. So he has to assume kind of responsibility. Scott Wolf um, is his brother. Um, you have Nev Campbell um, in one of her first kind of um, slightly more adult roles. I think she was 15 when she did this as one of the sisters. Um, you then have a baby who's one and uh, Lacey um, Chaber, I think her name was, who played um, Claudia, who was kind of 11 or 12. And it's very much about kind of how they survive, go on as orphans, um, the responsibilities of having to look after your siblings when you thought you were free to live a lovely life. Um, Jennifer Love Hewitt was in it as um, Scott Wolf's girlfriend, Sarah. Jeremy London was in it as Julia's boyfriend. I mean, if you want an encapsulation of American late 90s TV and all the hot people that were in it, watch Party of Five. Very emotional, all about family. Um, lots of amazing denim and plaid shirts going on. Impeccable. Can I just can I just jump in at the end here to I know you know this, but for the sake of Boyd and our readers, this absolutely blew my mind because you're talking about child actors. Mm. Uh, that we watched uh, Jordan Peele's Us recently. Oh my God! Uh, the twins <laughs> in Us, played by uh, Callie Noel Sheldon, played baby Emma on Friends. I tweeted this last week. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> Baby Emma, who I didn't even realise was played by twins, but it makes sense because babies often are, who are now, like, what, 19, 20? How old are we? What the fuck? I know. I was like, fucking hell. How amazing is that, though? Baby Emma, the least cared for child well, in the history I did, of television. So I tweeted, I said, um, they're played by Emma. And I think I said the least cared for child. I mean, literally, you could tell the bit in Friends where the writers just went, we're not even going to bother pretending anymore. <laughs> Nobody saw Baby Emma for nine months when Rachel was meant to be flying to Paris in the final episode. And she just got on the plane without her child. And the child isn't with Ross. The child's just nowhere. And I think there's one point where there's a box with Emma written on it. I'm like... Is she in the box? <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing. Boyd, what have you got? You didn't you haven't picked Aquarius before, have you? I have not so, picked Aquarius. Right, before. I'm picking okay. Aquarius. Because yes, it's quite Duchovny. you. Yeah, David yeah. Duchovny. And I, this is again another one of those shows. David Duchovny's in it, absolute legend from the X Files and everything. Um and it's a really interesting premise because he plays a detective investigating um the disappearance and killings of people in the late sixties, and it turns out to be connected to Charles Manson. Yeah. So it t- touches upon the real life story of Charles Manson, which is about to be featured, of course, in Quentin Tarantino's yep. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Hollywood. So this is like a primer almost for that, is partly why I'm picking it. And partly it was also pretty good. It was yeah. an NBC 
primetime, like mainstream show about investigating Charles Manson. <laughs> it was kind of incredible, and it ran for a few series. Yeah. And it's all on Skybox sets, and I think it's interesting. And and I love David Duchovny. He kind of knew I wrong. He's for amazing. Me. He's brilliant. Yeah. Remember him in Larry Sanders' show? I mean, well, absolutely. One legend. of the shows I am going to banshee in future is Californication, which I yeah, absolutely that was the love. other great David Duchovny yeah. show. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I'll do that. I might do that next week. We'll see. You can't preempt you. Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm bagging it now in case Boyd jumps in with his love for David Duchovny. No, that's I've done one David Duchovny show. All right. Well, I haven't done that this week. This week, for this week's Banshee, I'm going full fuller because I am going Mm. for Dead Like Me. Mm, Very good. So this ran for two seasons between 2003 and 2004 and starred Ellen Muth as George, who's a a girl who's killed by a a toilet seat falling from the deorbiting Mir space station, as you do. Uh, She dies and is recruited to serve as a grim reaper, sort of shepherding souls to the beyond. Uh, And her mentor in this is, uh, is Mandy Patinkin, uh, who plays Rube, and she has fellow Reapers in the form of uh, of Callum Blue's Mason, uh, Jasmine Guy's in it as a kind of salty traffic warden called Roxy, uh, Laura Harris as Daisy Adair. Uh, and what made this really good is it was kind of, it was that, it's that traditional kind of fuller touch. You know, it's, it wasn't as stylized or surreal as Pushing Daisies, which came afterwards, which I really, really love. Uh, but it was really witty and uh, very, very cleverly put together. And it balanced her kind of afterlife job with glimpses of how her family were doing, how they were coping with her death spoiler not well um Mm. it was also as you might expect completely demented uh with increasingly bizarre causes of death that was always a joy seeing the person that she was shepherding how they managed to off themselves fucking darwinism in action i tell you uh this however this did have a bumpy production this show so uh rebecca gayhart who played uh another reaper early on she left after six episodes and fuller himself jumped ship at the end of season one having a massive uh fight and fallout with mgm who they produced it and they kept insisting on story changes and stuff and they just wouldn't leave him alone he just had enough uh, it limped on for a second year that was nowhere near as good uh, and Showtime kind of finally laid it to rest for good after that uh, there was actually however there was a straight to DVD film of this uh, called Dead Like Me Life After Death which aired in 2009 but I haven't seen it so I can't tell you anything about it I didn't it. even know about that uh, true uh, I don't know whether that's good or not maybe that wraps up the story beautifully I haven't seen it but Dead Like Me was really really good I do recommend it um, and it is unsurprisingly available on DVD box set for £4 a series if you shop around. <laughs> That's the old James £4 That's the a old, series. Yeah, £4 down, uh, down uh, Arthur Daly's uh, car boot sale. <laughs> there we go. And uh, and that is it for another episode of the Pilot TV Podcast. As ever, we are available to receive both adulation and abuse on social media at Pilot TV Mag and our individual handles. And please do head over to iTunes when you have a minute and leave us a five-star rating. We'll be back next week with more fun and games as we gear up for the imminent arrival of the final season of Game of Thrones, which is now just two weeks away. And if we're planning to mainline all 67 episodes of the show thus far in preparation, we should probably start now. Pilot out.